of the Sacred Feminine uh, today uh, on our special show, uh, our special Thanksgiving show. Um, and if you tuned in yesterday about this time and we weren't there, uh, apologies. Um, you know, we had some technical difficulties because of weather, uh, but we've got our fingers crossed that uh, our Internet connections uh, stay connected and we'll be able to finish the show today. <laughs> Um, so today, as you might know, um, our topic is how pagan Christians really are uh, with Jeanette Blonigan Clancy, and um, we're going to be jumping into that in just a minute. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to just take a second to kind of establish that uh, one of the reasons I started this show many years ago, I believe it's over 13 or 14 years ago now, uh, is because I felt like there was so much of history that had to be re rewritten. Um, you know, there was uh, so much uh, knowledge that was still being shared that was inaccurate. And, uh, you know, maybe some people call it alternative history. Uh, but uh, I like to call it, uh, you know, reality history. Um, and, you know, and some of those things are um, like, you know, we know now Columbus didn't discover America. Um, you know, and uh, like around Thanksgiving, I think most of us have figured out that the sanitized version of that, uh, you know, wonderful gathering between the uh, Native Americans and the first pilgrims, uh, that wasn't real either. You know, that was just propaganda. And, um, you know, I've done those sorts of shows. I've given those sorts of presentations. Um, you can go back in the archives and, uh, uh, and find those shows. And, uh, for, you know, this time for Thanksgiving, you know, I thought rather than rehash that, uh, we'd do something we hadn't done in a while uh, or maybe, um, you know, tackled, you know, some of the topics we're going to tackle tonight. Uh, because another thing that uh, isn't talked about a lot is uh, the fact that, uh, you know, Christianity is based on paganism and Judaism. And, um, you know, I come from New Orleans, the Bible Belt. Um, you know, I have family who are evangelical Christians, and uh, I, I know for a fact they know nothing about their pagan roots, you know, uh, or the pagan roots of uh, Christianity. And especially as we come, you know, into the, you know, the holiday season of Christmas, of Yule, of Solstice, uh, I think this is important to, to talk about again uh, because, um, you know, I feel like it's uh, not knowing history, uh, 
you know, it, it, that's a dangerous thing. Uh, it really is a dangerous thing because, quite, quite frankly, if you thought about it, if uh, more uh, Christians knew about their pagan roots, um, you know, maybe there wouldn't be such misunderstanding. Maybe we wouldn't have so much, um, you know, uh, polarization uh, in the country. We would see, um, you know, our, our common roots uh, instead of this war on Christmas and all the rest we hear about this time of year. So anyway, I think you kind of get it, and um, and I believe uh, what Jeanette is going to be sharing with us tonight uh, might be a number of things that you hadn't actually thought about uh, in this regard. You know, uh, we all know, of course, that, you know, Christmas wasn't really Jesus' birthday, and, uh, you know, it was really about Saturnalia and all of that. But, you know, we're going to delve a little bit deeper than scratch the surface. So um, let me introduce you to Jeanette. She's been on the show before. Uh, she's also been a contributor several times uh, to uh, some of uh, my anthologies, uh, which I call, um, you know, the Manifesting a New Normal um, anthologies. There's a trilogy of them out there. Uh, Jeanette uh, is a, a writer, a speaker. She's a retired educator, and she's a feminist. Uh, she was brought up in a blanketing Catholic climate, but uh, she rejects the father-son myth, and she vigorously opposes sex God talk. Uh, she remains a Catholic, uh, writing and speaking within the church to broaden awareness of the sacred feminine. Uh, her book, uh, God is Not Three Guys in the Sky, Cherishing Christianity Without Its Exclusive Claims, led to her wonderful blog, uh, which I highly encourage you to look for, uh, and it is titled GodIsNotThreeGuys.com, and the three is the number three, not the word three, God is Not Three guys.com and uh, her most recent book uh, which we spoke about a few weeks ago here on uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine is Beyond uh, 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 I'm trying to get the word out uh, Beyond Parochial Faith a Catholic Confesses. Sounds provocative, doesn't it? Uh, well, it's a good book. Um, she's uh, frank and honest and uh, lays her soul bare, and it's uh, a wonderful book that I was really glad to give an endorsement for. And, um, you know, with that sort of background, she certainly knows her stuff. She has been studying it uh, for decades, and uh, I couldn't have a better uh, expert on the topic of how pagan Christians are. So, Jeanette, um, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Hello, hello, hello. In the meantime, I want to quickly say the person who went to get my snowblower and bring it someplace else is actually doing my driveway. So if you ever hear a snowblower in the background, that's what it is. <laughs> oh, I'm, glad I'm so happy to be on your show again, Karen. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you, Jeanette. You know, I, I uh, have been a big supporter of your work, and I know you likewise, uh, you know, back at me, and it's it's been a wonderful, um, you know, mutual uh, support uh, of, of colleagues kind of thing we have going here. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I value your, your work so much out there, and I think you're so courageous, um, honestly, to um, continue this work uh, in Christian circles. 
Um, and, uh, you know, so many of us kind of just take our ball and go home. Uh, I, I know I sure did, uh, you know, as I found really nothing uh, in common with some of these people anymore. But, um, you know, you're really unique. And, um, you know, I, I just want to I, I just want to tell you that. And, and thank you, too, for your flexibility, because with the snow on your end and the snow on my end, uh, I think the problem yesterday was the snow on my end. Um, uh, you know, I, I appreciate you being flexible and, uh, you know, going ahead and trying to do the show today and, instead of our technical failure yesterday. <laughs> thank you. I, I, I'm sure that you think of me as unique because I stayed right in the Catholic Church. And I would say that the reason is that I live close to a monastery of women and they are so kind and wonderful and mature that that's the reason I didn't leave the church. I really tried leaving. I became an atheist years ago, and I was going to just give up on this stupid church which believes such stupid things. Well, I've grown up because I know a lot of Catholic scholars understand things as we do, and they, they remain in the church because... Well, for much the same reasons that I do, they they love they just happen to love the people around them, and uh, we can do a lot of work right in the Catholic Church. Well, and and I know you've been trying to do that. You know, uh, you've been trying to get the sexist God talk changed. Um, but you know, I, I wonder about uh, I wonder about something else. You know, I just read an article today on that wonderful blog. Uh, you may know about it. Uh, it's the Feminism and Religion blog. If listeners haven't discovered it yet, go look it up. Um, every couple of days, you'll get a new essay in your email inbox, and um, they're always good. Sometimes they're really great. Um, and today, there was an interesting one about this uh, woman who was, she was more of a, um, you know, she wasn't a conservative, let me just put it that way, and she wasn't right-wing, you know, she wasn't, uh, I I don't know if she still considered herself Christian anymore, but she was uh, struggling because so so many of the conservative leaders out there are telling their congregations to not look deeply at anything, you know, uh, don't meditate, don't have any uh, introspection, uh, just keep things on the surface because to do otherwise, to do yoga, to meditate, to uh, be mindful, um, you know, you're inviting the devil in. And um, I don't know, I, I, maybe the folks you, uh, who are in your circles don't think that way, uh, but I wonder, you know, what do you say to that? You know, how would you address it if you came upon someone in these circles that you still travel that had that sort of mindset? Because it seems like it's encouraging people to uh, not, you know, uh, you know, not reflect on their life, not, ref- uh, you know, not question anything, you know, even their own psyche. Well, I think that's true of politically and religiously. If there's actually I I have people very close to me who are what I call right wingers and 
yes, you're, they do not have the ability to observe their own process. Um, so they don't psychologically know what's going on. I think a lot of their beliefs are dependent on emotions, and there is no way that giving them facts, although that's what I desperately want to do, I want to educate, educate, I know it doesn't help if the emotions aren't ready to receive new information. So depending on the person, in each individual case, it's unique, um, I have to decide whether it's worth talking at all um, or how to talk. Most of the time, I would say that I just give little suggestions. Um, if I think of a, a fact that contradicts a, an opinion that just was expressed, I'll simply say the fact and try to do it matter-of-factly. Uh, that's hard. I, I'm usually full of emotion myself. <laughs> but um, I think that might be useful, is to simply put an alternative fact out on the table. And other than that, there's nothing we can do except um, protect ourselves from being wrought up by it. That's the hardest thing for me, is keeping myself in well, line. I, I, I agree. Sometimes, you know, depending on my own emotions, uh, you know, sometimes I can just you know, kind of roll my eyes and move on. Other times, you know, uh, it, it's hard uh, to bite my tongue. But, you know, when, it, it, has it always been like this, Jeanette? I mean, I remember noticing this uh, disdain for education, this disdain for logic around the time Sarah Palin hit the stage. But was it around before that? Oh, I am reading something that is so apropos to what you just asked. It is the most wonderful history of the United States I've ever come across. I just happened to come across it. It's written by Jill Lepore, who is a writer for The New Yorker, called These Truths, A History of the United States. And right now I'm in the part where she's talking about and I've never before read such a good analysis of how this awful polarity came about. It's because of rules, and, and it is true that the conservative movement is responsible for the fact that people are just going nuts for, for, as a result of talk radio and um, MSNSB, um MSNBC and uh, Fox News, of course, Fox News, and, and how Roger Ailes was able to do what he did. Uh, this history that we're aware of and we vaguely know that it's responsible for the polarity, but how did this happen? And according to Jill Lepore, um, it had a lot to do with undermining or repealing the rules that had been in place and kept things sane. Um, the campaign fair, fairness in campus, um, anyway, it had to do with fairness on, on the public airways. Fairness something act was repealed, and other things were repealed so that um, 
years ago, you know, we listened to NBC, CBS, and ABC, which are called um, disparagingly the alphabet channels now. But they were they were committed to presenting news in a fair way and presenting both sides. And since the um, those rules were repealed. Um, and another thing is that debates were changed so that now debates are just um, full of zingers and, you know, people um, use the remote to do channel surfing on television and they're looking for the most thrilling, the most spectacular things to watch. Uh, celebrities are catching people's eyes instead of the um, thoughtful, deep, real debate. Um, chances for people to let their thoughts be known, to let their official um, positions be known and so on. Um, everything has changed because of a few, well, that's one of the strong um, strong ways that we have come to this pass right now. And it's true in religion as it is in politics. It's It's the same soup. It's people just being angry and, and not thinking. I've, I know I've gone on for a while, but um, I feel so strongly about this. And I'm going to recommend this book again. It's called These Truths, um, A History of the United States, and it's by Jill Lapore, L-A-P-O-R-E. Well, thank you for that. And, and I don't feel like you went on too long. And uh, you reminded me, you know, I'm in Kern County, California right now, and it's uh, it's it's red. And, you know, Kevin McCarthy, unfortunately, uh, is uh, the person who represents our area. You know, for those of you who know him, I think he's even associated with KKK uh, people, if, uh, if I recall. Um, you know, and, 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 you know one, one of the problems, I think, too, is um, if you get, like, the lower tier of cable, you automatically get free – Fox channels and Sinclair broadcasting channels. Uh, maybe you'll get CNN, but you definitely don't get MSNBC. You might not get um, uh, Democracy Now! or Free Speech TV. You have to pay more money to get the more left-wing alternative views. I mean, for instance, at night we have this, uh, the, this show that comes on Sunday nights, and it's two people talking you know, uh, giving opposite sides of, uh, you know, of a candidate or an idea, but they're always a right and a right winger and a crazy right winger. You know, um, it's not a oh. left and a right discussion. It's it's right wing and ultra right wing. You know, and um, and and that scares me. I mean, it really does because. Um, you know, in our day and age now with, uh, you know, a lot of people working, you know, more than one job to pay the bills, I mean, they don't have time to search out uh, topics, you know. They just kind of become a sponge uh, soaking in what they hear. And, um, you know, the, the right-wingers have done an incredible job, um, you know, uh, over the long haul of uh, taking over the media. And, you know, it reminds me of the Dominionists 
and uh, I did a show on Dominionist Christianity uh, many years ago, and uh, I tried to get the girl back on again, but she was afraid to come back on because she was getting death threats and things like that. But she talked about Dominionist Christianity wanting to infiltrate different parts of our culture and the media being one of those. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, they really have. In fact, um, I was reading articles recently that um, uh, William Bohr, the uh, Attorney General for the United States, is Opus Dei. Um, now, that scares the heck out of me because, uh, you know, the only thing I know about Opus Dei uh, is that they're extreme right-wingers. And in the Da Vinci Code, that was the guy that was um, beating himself with the whip, um, so to have, uh, you know, Opus Dei uh, as the Attorney General, um, you know, uh, I don't know, it's like, God, how did we get here? I know, and I, 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 I have to admit that it, it's, it's Catholics. Ahead. It's Catholics who are responsible for some of the most right-wing um, thoughts, uh, right-wing opinions, right-wing actions that are taking place on the Supreme Court. Um, a majority of the Supreme Court justices are Catholics, not just Christians, but Catholics. And I did not know that Attorney General William Barr was in Opus Dei. Opus Dei, as you say, is very, very ultra-conservative. And um, I can't remember the details, but I know from reading National Catholic Reporter, which is the Catholic newspaper I read, I know from reading um, National Catholic Reporter that there have been some awful scandals associated with Opus Dei, but I can't remember those right now. I, I'm sorry to say that religion and politics, the way they work together in these years also is contributing to, well, that, that didn't happen years ago. There was a um, there was more respectful relationship between them, and and now it's all oh let's let's talk about how pagan Christians are. And so this, this is becoming it's becoming depressing. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know. It's, it's kind of a, 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 our parallel track. Let's get back to uh, our topic, uh, although they are related. Um, so anyway, uh, let's start at the beginning, the title, How Pagan Christians Are. Um, let's assume some of my listeners, uh, this is a new thought for them. Um, kind of give us a, a, a brief thumbnail, uh, Jeanette. Okay, the brief thumbnail is that I want to talk about how parallel thoughts, parallel beliefs uh, exist between Christianity and paganism. Pagan practices were borrowed by Christians. Pagan spiritual habits, habits of mind, come from paganism. Paganism was the dominant thought frame, religious frame, surrounding people around the Mediterranean. I should say, too, that some of what I probably will talk about concerns all non-Christians. But um, when we talk about pagans, specifically that most people understand the word pagan to refer to religions around the Mediterranean at the time, that, uh, of, at the time of Christianity's infancy. 
And so let's go into how pagan gods and pagan worship resembles Christian gods and, and Christian worship. Okay, all right. And, and one thing before you do, isn't the term pagan um, in a lot of, uh, you know, circles meant to be a term of disparagement uh, to uh, someone oh. who's a non-Christian? Thanks for bringing that up. Yes, pagan simply meant country in those days. And it was people in the country who were the slowest to catch on to the new religion. Christians were... Um, they were revolutionaries. The old pagan religions were so comfortable for people, and they had served people for decades, not for, just for decades, for centuries. People were happy with their religions. And then come, along comes this upstart, pagan uh, Christianity, which upset everything. So we know how things take hold faster in cities, and that's what happened in those days. So pagans, the pagans, the country people, were slower to catch on, but over the centuries, pagan became a disparaging term because Christians wrote the dominant history. Christians uh, dominate everything for, well, for 2,000 years, almost. Actually, it wasn't, we didn't have a stronghold until about the 4th century. That's another matter. We could go into that history, but I think we'll talk mostly about what are some of the ways that parallel, that show parallels between okay. paganism and Christian. Okay. Yeah, so the, so the Christian and the pagan gods, how are they alike or not? Well, the, the, what I like to say is that the main characters in the Christian story resemble pagan characters. The father, the Lord Father, is Zeus. He occupies the same place in the human psyche as Zeus. This was asserted by Carl Jung. I, re, I am a Jungian. I, I have learned so much from reading Carl Jung. And, and so the Lord Father and Zeus are commanders. They're authoritarian. They tell everybody what to do, and, and nobody may cross them. There's no possibility of anybody crossing them. And the next big, well, and then Mary is the goddess. She took over goddess titles like virgin and uh, star of the sea and queen of heaven. The main characters, right. the main goddess names were queen of heaven and then jesus resembles the heroes of pagan stories he's the son in many of the pagan stories there's mother and son and jesus resembles those sons like the pagan gods apollo Attis, horus mithras and dionysius jesus was born of a virgin at the winter solstice Christmas was patterned after pagan feasts in the Roman Empire in the 4th century, in the 300-something. Um, Christians were so envious of the pagans because they had this grand celebration every winter solstice because it was the birth of the sun. So they had sun gods. The Roman god was Sol Invictus, or Sun Invincible, or the Unconquerable Sun and that feast was the pattern for Christmas. Christians simply started the 
whole feast day, the feast day that became Christmas to us. It was it was simply artificially begun. Nobody had any idea when Jesus was born. You know that that was not something that that's not historical at all. In fact, the first stories of Matthew and Luke, they're called the Nativity um, narratives. They are not history at all, but people read them as history. So we have that story, you know, of the oh, the cave and the. Uh, Jesus born in a cave in some stories, and Jesus born in a manger, and, you know, the shepherds and the magi, those stories were made up. Um, well, other and, ways and also, Jesus too, uh, well, and just to interject a minute here about Jesus, um, uh, you know, when I was doing research for one of my books and reading about symbolism and how, you know, the the baton got passed from, um, you know, goddess to Mary, like especially a great example of it was in um, in Turkey and Ephesus, you know, uh, you know, Mary takes on the attributes of Artemis and Isis. And, and, you know, when that happened at threat of death, you know, in a lot of these places, I mean, we have to say that too, people were forced to let go of the pagan religion so they capitulated I, I believe and they uh, you know they just said okay we'll call the goddess Mary now if that's what will keep us alive but basically in you know in, in so many sense uh, in so much sense she was uh, you know she was just the goddess with, with a new name but the symbolism I remember going back to the very earliest of times uh, Jesus' symbols were the fish in the net um, it, and those were actually goddess symbols way back when, and uh, and and then they became adopted by uh, Jesus. The vine too, I believe, was another one that actually ble- belonged to one of the goddesses, uh, and uh, you know, and then that that became you know taken on by Jesus. And the the idea of the dying rising uh, God too, uh, you know, he's Jesus is kind of the last in the line of the dying, rising pagan gods. Exactly. The dying and rising theme. Joseph Campbell liked to write about that. In fact, he called it the monomyth of all ancient religions. The monomyth meaning that it, there's really one basic theme of almost all the religious myths in the whole world, not even just pagan myths. And dying and rising was that one theme. Transformation. We all are to be transformed. And the symbol of transformation is to die in one sense and to rise in another sense. In my book, Beyond Parochial Faith, A Catholic Confessus, I entitle one chapter, um, How I die, After I Died, I Rose. Because dying and rising is what every human being is doing all of our lives long. We're dying in one sense and rising in another sense. And um, the inner world really works this magic of dying and rising, too. I'm thinking of somebody, a family. I think there have been several families I've known. When a baby is born, the grandparent dies around the same time. It is so fascinating how this happens. One person dies, and a person who's related passes, or one person is born and another person dies. Isn't that amazing? It's marvelous. Yeah. 
Well, and it's also a theme in a lot of television shows and movies, too, around the holidays. You know, the, uh, it, it, it would be interesting if anyone's had, this, had some statistics on that. Uh, you know, that, that is quite interesting. Um, Jeanette, let me uh, take a quick break here. Believe it or not, we've already spoken for 30 minutes. Uh, when we come oh. back, um, I want to talk, talk more about the pagan myths um, and the Christian myths and the messages, uh, if there's more to that than this, you know, this idea of uh, dying and being reborn is, you know, is kind of how we just keep transforming and evolving in life. Um, but, uh, but first here, um, uh, I want to uh, share with folks uh, this clip from the trailer for Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Most people see humankind is really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree. And I came out of it. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, that's another appropriate book for uh, our topic here, Parallel, uh, parallel Thoughts. Uh, just uh, to reiterate here, Dancing with Gaia is available only at the website, dancingwithgaia.com. Um, so, Jeanette, uh, back to our topic here, how pagan Christians okay. are. Uh, we were going to talk about the parallel between uh, Christian and pagan myths. Um, are there more besides this? transformation um, myth that we talked about before the commercial? Well, I cannot remember um, myths that are not transformational, but you know what I'd love to talk about? I don't want to be have gotten to the end of our talk without mentioning the Eleusinian mysteries. Can we talk about that, Karen? Sure, um, the absolutely. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, the mother... I love this myth about the mother and daughter because it balances so perfectly the Christian myth of father and son. Um, in, oh, well, I'm starting in the wrong place. I'm going running ahead of myself. The mother and daughter are Demeter and Persephone, or also the another, other names are Ceres, who is Demeter, the goddess of grain, and hori is another word for Persephone. And as I said, it perfectly balances the father-son myth of Christianity. Persephone, the daughter, is seized by Hades, ruler of the underworld, where the dead live. Another word for Hades is Pluto. Um, and she descends to the dead, and we should say that in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus descended to the dead. So there's that parallel again. And then her mother, Demeter, becomes enraged by Hades' abduction of Persephone, and she plunges the earth into a wintry death. So Demeter, and it's a long, long story. There are many variations of this story. But to bring things to an end, Demeter and Hades come to an agreement. Hades, or Pluto, lets Persephone ascend to the earth 
mercury going up again, up and down, up and down, up and down. That's something else that Christianity inherited from the from paganism, how the gods go up and down. Okay, so Persephone ascends to the earth and lives there for part of the year, and when she comes up, the meter allows the earth to reawaken and the earth burst into fertile growth of of spring at Easter time. It is such a lovely way of thinking about Easter, and it has a feminine um, heroine. Perhaps I am, oh, what's really exciting and what caught, caught my attention when I was at the School of Theology, I was studying at a Catholic school of theology at St. John's, which is just a few miles from my home, and there, the, the scripture text I was given there talked about mystery religions, and I learned that they have these parallels. Um, and the most striking one is the Eleusinian mysteries, which celebrate the story of Demeter and Persephone. For many centuries, they were the most revered religious rites of the Greeks and Romans. And by worshiping mother and daughter, Demeter and Persephone, they balance again. They balance the Christian worship of father and son. But listen to what they did. The mysteries were celebrated yearly at Eleusis and Athens and lasted about 15 days. Um, I, I think of Lent. Lent is 40 days, but well, let's go on. They included fasting in addition to a great 14-mile procession between the two cities, Eleusis and Athens. And this outer journey stood for an inner one, which is what we say in Christianity, too. And the participants in the mysteries traveled with their divine beings through grief, you know, as Christians do during Lent, like from Ash Wednesday to Palm Sunday, Holy Thursday, and Good Friday. Those are, they're reminiscent of the, um, of Eleusinian mysteries. But the climax for Christians is Holy Saturday night and Easter morning when grief turns to elation. The Eleusinian journey ended at Athens with a spectacular drama during which participants beheld a sacred mystery that left them jubilant. Now, we don't know exactly what happened because mysterion means secret in Greek. And people were barred on, upon pain of death from uh, divulging what happened, exactly what happened. But we, the great writers, of the ancient writers, Sophocles, Cicero, Pindar, and Plutarch, have written, have they re, they've referred to them, they've mentioned the Eleusinian mysteries in a way that um, they give scholars a pretty good idea of what did happen. And so there are lots of mentions of the Eleusinian mysteries. People are excited about it, uh, intrigued by it, as I am. And during the culminating event of this spectacular drama, which is like Holy Saturday night and Easter morning, the participants beheld a sacred mystery that left them jubilant. And during this, they drank a brew, which I associate with wine, at Mass. And because of the sublime impact attested by ancient writers such as Sophocles, Cicero, Pinder, and Plutarch, modern scholars think the brew at Eleusis and Athens 
contained ergot, which can cause hallucinations. Well, whatever it is, those rites um, parallel Lent and Holy Week and Easter. And and I first got a first glimpse of this from reading um, my own Christian scripture book at the School of Theology. So uh, Christian scholars really know about all of this, and, and it's just a matter of educating more people about it. Right. Well, and and I've interviewed uh, Carl Ruck, and he's also uh, contributed to one of the anthologies I mentioned earlier. Uh, Carl Ruck is an expert on the uh, Eleusinian Mysteries, and um, uh, you know he talks about the uh, the sacred hallucinogen that um, you know they they believe that they use might have been sacred mushrooms. Um, but that, uh, and, and I invite listeners to go back and look for uh, Carl Ruck's name in my archives. Uh, you know, just put in Carl Ruck, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, I think it'll pop up. Um, but uh, I believe they thought, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jeanette, because, you know, uh, you, know you, you may know more about this than I'm remembering, uh, but they think that that, hallucinis- that hallucination or that vision that they saw after, you know, they, they drank this, um, you know, this potion was probably uh, Persephone rising uh, from the dead. And, and if that's right. the case, there you have another parallel with Jesus. Exactly. Yes, it was. It was um, something that pagans felt. If they didn't believe it for the rest of the year, they certainly associated Persephone rising with that moment when they were in sublime contact with sublimity, with infinity, with divinity, and and they were just full of the richness of meaning that came from this experience. Whatever they experienced must have been different in the minds of every one of the individuals, but it's certainly the, the one thing that bound them all together was that they were bound with the divinity. <coughs> Cicero wrote about the rites, saying, we have been given a reason not only to live with joy, but also to die with better hope. Well, and, and that makes me think that, um, you know, maybe the ancient pagans were more accepting of the cycles of life. Um, you know, I I, I know, uh, oh, the name escapes me at the moment, but there's a, a great book out there about, uh, the you know, how patriarchy came about. And um, one of the con- contributors that I uh, interviewed said that they thought uh, patriarchy – uh, in, in one sense, may uh, what helped patriarchy along was that um, the denial of um, the cycles of life. That somehow they thought, um, you know, in Christianity, in a way, they cheated death because they would could live on, you know, after death in heaven, uh, as opposed to the pagan sort of cycles of life. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. I agree with that. I I've read that too. And the other thing that occurs to me in comparing pagan thought and belief with Christian is that I suspect more pagans 
well, I know that they were more tolerant of other religions. That is for sure. Christians took their exclusive ideas, you know, we are better than others, from Judaism, actually. It was the Jews who had to maintain their purity and say we're better than others because the Jews were always the minority in um, in a world that was dominated by other religions. Um, but I think pagans were more apt to see that all religions have legitimacy and that what we call God is beyond our knowledge and and it's just not going to be in their own single religion. They are not number one. Well, and and I think too, um, you know, the and we have to remember all the great thinkers of the past. Um, so many of them were pagan. I, I mean, I think we for, we forget about that. Um, and uh, and and I think you know they also saw nature, uh, you know, as an as an aspect of religion where Christianity uh, separated us. From the body and separated us from nature. I mean, I remember when the movie Avatar came out and it was such a hit. Uh, one of the spokespeople for the Pope uh, actually came out and said, "Nature will never replace real religion," you know, uh, because they were so gobsmacked by um, how people were responding to Avatar. Um, so, you know, in a sense, you know, while while the pagans and Christians, a lot of times their myths or run parallel, sometimes they're, uh, uh, they oppose each other, too. Oh, I agree. I agree. The Christians are, well, the Catholic Church is, I think, has carried Christianity more than the other religions. And so I'll, and I talk about Catholic. I know Catholicism better than the others, and so I'll sort of blame things on Catholics. The Catholic Church does have this awful attitude. Um, it's it's more patriarchal than I think the pagans were at, when the pagans were defeated by Christianity. Um, and that accounts for the clergy, the clericalism, the clergy system, which is the source of the clergy sex scandal and the, the awful way that women are treated in the Catholic Church. Um, this is just a side comment. Pope Francis is trying to um, reverse that a little bit, although I don't think he really understands patriarchy, and he'll never um, try to approve of women being ordained priests. But Pope Francis is bringing more moderate views and, and kinder attitude, but the, the, uh, the people in the Curia are fighting him. There's an awful backlash. It's it's the same kind of right-wing, left-wing stuff going on in, in the political scene is happening in Christianity, and you're absolutely right. This um, polarity includes very much nature and ex accepting women, accepting um, birth and death as being natural, um, all of this has to be corrected as Christianity is losing its hold on our whole, our society. Western Europe and, Amer and the United States are um, turning away from traditional religion, and that's part of 
what's happening. The goddess is rising in uh, and taking the place of traditional religion. Yeah, yeah, uh, but you know, you in, in some in some ways you'd hardly know it uh, because uh, you know the right is so loud and have um, been so um, you know brazen. Uh, you know, with some of the stuff uh, that uh, that they're doing. You know, I mean, it seems like uh, we could uh, have the Handmaid's Tale here. Uh, you know, in, in a decade, if you know we weren't really diligent. Well, I think that the very fact that the right is so brazen and offensive actually makes it easier for deep thinkers, and and no, and even just ordinary people, it makes it easier to see what's wrong with that attitude. I think um, there's really been more understanding of um, differences and acceptance of nature, certainly, acceptance of women, acceptance of changes, today than than before because um because of the brazenness i um there's something about when you see an extreme the pendulum has to swing in the opposite direction and this is what's happening in in human psyches too the pendulum will swing in the opposite direction because it becomes repulsive to see the extreme positions do you know what i mean well in well, yeah, you're making, I mean, at the risk of getting political, you're making me think of Trump. Um, I mean, he's so extreme. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if you saw this weekend, he put out that, um, you know, that shirtless photoshopped picture of him on Sylvester Stallone's body from um, Rambo. And it, it just gobsmacked me of Putin shirtless on a horse in Russia uh, you know uh, the you know fearless, powerful leader, strong man. Uh, you know that came out of Russia not that long ago. You know, and yeah, and I think when people see that, um, if they think at all, uh, it it does. It it it's unsettling. You know, uh, when I saw that, I mean, oh, I, I mean, I it, you, you want a wretch. <laughs> I know, I know, and I I was I. It's hard to talk about these things without thinking about Trump. I say that the biggest contribution made by Trump is these things, is that he makes the extreme right look so despicable, so repulsive, that it's actually engendering a beautiful... um, a beautiful new awareness of how we must accept immigrants, we must um, be kinder to each other, we must, um, well, you know, all of it. We, we, yeah. We, as I said, when, when the pendulum swings too far in one direction, then there's a move toward the, in the other direction. And that's the good stuff that's going on right now. 
Yeah, and and that, and that's important to say. I mean, I know when he got elected, um, I really believed that he would be the catalyst for positive change. You know, it didn't mean that we weren't going to go through some dark days, but I think the transparency of who he is and what he does, um, you know, to you know, to sane, reasonable people, um, you know, they have to reject that as a future for themselves and and their children. I mean, it's just like The Handmaid's Tale, actually. You know, um, in the second series, the women who uh, were behind this god-awful policies uh, that they were doing, suddenly started looking at, this is what my daughter is going to grow up in. And, you know, and at the end of the second series, you know, some of the women, instead of being complicit uh, in this, you know, oppression of the women, you know, started to fight back. And, um, you know, and, and I, I don't know, I, as, as hard as it is to watch it every day, um, maybe it's necessary in order to, for us to right the ship. Well, I will make a confession now. I have never seen The Handmaid's Tale. I cannot, I, I don't read, um, what's the author's name? Um, you know, uh, Margaret the, Atwood. The, the, Yes, I I don't read Margaret because I'm protecting myself. It's too painful. I can't stand it. And I I've read enough reviews of The Handmaid's Tale that I just never had any desire to see it and I'm not going to see it. I there's no reason I have to subject myself to that. I don't want to be I don't want to have um to see that kind of thing for instance, before I go to bed at night, before I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I am, I keep looking, looking for the silver lining. A friend of mine has um, psychic powers, and I asked her during the campaign of 2016 about Trump, and what came to her was, the sun rising and almost up to the horizon. And then after that, I asked her again, and when he was elected, she said the sun had gone up, through, had broken upward through the horizon and was ascending some more. And that fits exactly what I've been saying, that the worst manifestations um, actually are Trump's transparency I like the fact that you use that word Trump's transparency makes um, raises awareness of what needs to be avoided and um, a new dawn is rising we can look at it that way you know that's the more positive way of observing this phenomenon that's going on but there again i don't want our oh there's no time i wanted to talk about specific things that we what you already did specific things that we borrowed from the pagan ways of worship well we have if 
it, well, I mean, we can let it go a little bit longer, uh, Jeanette, if if you have the time. I mean, the show won't cut off. I, I have it scheduled so that we can go beyond an hour if we need it. So um, let's go ahead and, and go to that topic you wanted to share. Okay. I wanted to talk about how they – we got baptism and Eucharist, or communion, from the pagans. I'm sure you've said this before, but I'm probably what I'm going to say now will be repetition of things you've said, but they bear repetition. Um, Pagan religions had ritual baths and ritual banquets corresponding to baptism and Eucharist. And in baptism, they did um, things like took off their clothes, which early Christians did. They were given new garments to wear, like early Christians. Pagans and Christians were fed milk to signify being newborn. Um, both pagan and Christian rites purified initiates to enter a new divine religious fellowship. Um, and we already said that they had ceremonies like Good Friday and Easter, and um, they had you know, the mystery religions conveyed a new spiritual status. Some more counterparts. Um, they had uh, solemn communal meals in rites that combined the ideas of sacrifice and meal, like Holy Communion. One scholar stated the mystical relationship like this, the strength of the deity dwells in the sacrificed flesh and passes into one who eats it. And that's exactly what Holy Communion signifies. And there's a huge stock of ideas and verbal images that belong to both sides. They use the simple acts of eating, washing, and anointing as symbols of sacred power. They fasted. They made sacrifice. They sang hymns. They recited litanies. They walked in processions. They bore sacred vessels. Uh, they had a professional priesthood. They, they partook of the God in the sacred meal, of course, um, and, and even words like mystery, sacrament, handing on truth, uh, victory in a war. That's, that was, we, we live lives in victory with, uh, with evil. These ideas and the words come from pagan ideas. In, in Catholicism, there's this odd thing of the priest at the altar would use his thumb and first two fingers raised and the other two bent. <laughs> and that gesture comes from a pagan gesture during their worship. It is so strange. Oh, and the, the halo <laughs> comes from the pagans. It, it's just, uh, it's funny. I think it's funny. Um, oh, when I, every time I go to Mass, I keep going to Mass at St. Ben's with my friends, the Benedictines. And I have to endure the language. Oh, and I hate it at the Gloria. We sing to Lord God, Heavenly King, Almighty Father, Only Begotten Son, Lord God. And I just, I, I sing because I love singing. <laughs> I've been a singer all my life, so I'm singing these offensive words. I'm sorry, it it, it makes me feel a little guilty. I, I feel like I give up my integrity a little bit, but I'm singing and I'm hating the words at the same time. But um, <laughs> that's the way it is, you know. I'm I'm part of this religion and for for some good reasons. Well, it, and so I, 
Well, and when you Go said on. processions, <clears throat> when you said processions, what popped into my mind were two things. Um, I forget the author now, but um, you know, because I'm an you know an ISIS priestess. Um, you know, we, uh, the not-for-profit that I started with my husband many years ago, the ISIS Ancient Culture Society, um, we used to recreate um, uh, uh, ancient rituals in a modern-day context. And one of the big deals uh, was the Isis Navigatum, or Ploethesia, they called it in ancient times, of Isis, which was a procession, um, you know, I, I guess maybe not unlike what you were talking about between Athens and Eleusis, where people would walk for miles together, um, you know, they would uh, have exotic animals, they would be in costumes, men dressed as women, women dressed as men, they carried um, uh, um, um uh, little altars on the end of a stick. Uh, I, I mean, you know, just oh, they sang and chanting and music. And I mean, you can just imagine this going down, um, you know, the thoroughfare, right? And it would end <laughs> at the harbor. And at the harbor, there would be this ship laden with offerings that was an offering to Isis. And they would launch the ship, um, kind of like a, a spell, you know, uh, and as they, or a prayer, uh, however you want to term it. Uh, and, you know, they would launch the ship and, you know, as they asked Isis for her blessings uh, in the coming year. And uh, we, we actually did that, you know, but we would launch these ice boats. We actually made boats of ice and we launched them down at the ocean. Um, you know, in like Malibu or Venice Beach, you know, places like that. But that procession was uh, the forerunner to Mardi Gras. That, you know, there's kind of a long story to get to Mardi Gras. But when you think about Mardi Gras, it's kind of just, um, you know, repeating um, – you know, that, that pagan influence, you know. So Mardi Gras has actually got its roots in paganism uh, as well. So, you know, so oh, much that goes yes. on today we have to thank the pagans for. That is so true. Uh, as you were describing <laughs> the procession and, and when you said, <laughs> imagine this going down a thoroughfare, these things were happening in Catholicism years ago in the United States, too. I know that they still have, they happen more in Latin American countries. But when I was a child and going to um, a Catholic elementary school, parochial school, um, we celebrated rogation days, which were which celebrated, um, well, they were, they happened in spring, and it meant praying for um, a good growing season. And we said the rosary in a procession going through my little village, St. Martin, and we prayed the rosary right, right out there in front of God and everybody, <laughs> right in this little village which I thought was so unique. Um, I don't know how many years that was continued. Oh, I wanted to say something else about ISIS. You've probably said this before, and it's probably not new to you, but I want to mention it. The uh, little um, figurines of ISIS holding her son Horus were so plentiful at the time that Christianity 
was making these old religions disappear. Um, Christianity was supplanting them and, and cruelly putting an end to them. But those figurines were everywhere. And what happened is that the names were simply changed from Isis and Horus to Mary and Jesus. This is the kind of thing that happened all over, that the names were simply changed, and a few details were changed. But as you said, the stories and, and the practices continued. It's just parallels, lots of parallels between paganism and Christianity. Yeah, and the the Black Madonnas, uh, some of those Black Madonnas are actually ISIS underneath. And um, I'm thinking about uh, in Ireland all the pagan wells uh, that, you know, uh, like there were Bridget wells, for instance, uh, were places of sacred healing where people would go and attach their a little strip of cloth to what they called the Clutie tree. And, and, and so what the Christians did in order to take those over off, Oftentimes they built a chapel or a church on top of the well. Um, so it was this, um, uh, you know, it was this cherry picking. It was this, um, uh, you know, it was, it was in, in a way it was, uh, and, and the word isn't coming to me, but it's like if you couldn't beat them, join them, and control them, you know. Uh, and, oh, and, that is good. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. If you can't beat them, join them. That's exactly what happened. Um, the conquerors joined the and they learned from the conquered peoples. Um, we haven't mentioned yet the rising nones, N-O-N-E-S, the people who are now professing their spiritual views without attending any religious ceremonies. They are independent of religion. They are non-affiliated with any religion, N-O-N-E-S, and they have been discovered. Um, the first year that I read about them was the year that my book, God is Not Three Guys in the Sky, came out. It was in 2007 when the Pew Research Center um, said, and, and I said in God is Not Three Guys in the Sky at the end, I said that in the future I was sure that um, Christians would become more and more aware of uh, the exceptions in their Catholic, in their faith not being legitimate and um, something else would happen. Well, that's exactly what happened, what showed up when the Pew Research Center found the N-O-N-E-S, non-affiliates, and the portion of people who belong, who could be called nons, is rising, and almost it's between 20% and 25% of the whole population in the United States, and it's rising. So more and more people are, and and most of them are spiritual. They believe in something called that's called God. They believe in spiritual reality but they are not affiliated with any religion. They are really against established religions. Well, that's not good for the GOP, <laughs> uh, which, is, uh, which is good for, um, you know, which is good for us. 
Um, well, and and I got to say one other thing, um, Jeanette. Going back to the dying rising um, theme, um, I start. I I I, uh, I got this hit after we talked about that and moved on. But I want to make sure we mention it because uh, we talked about Jesus as the dying rising God. You know, as part of the long line of pagan dying rising gods. But I think there's also the parallel between. Um, you know, we we didn't actually state it between Persephone. And, and Mary, because didn't Mary have an ascension just like Persephone had an ascension from the underworld? Well, <clears throat> some Christian myths say that. The official church does not like to talk much about Mary. In fact, in um, Vatican II, Mary actually was demoted. Now, Vatican II is celebrated by more progressive Catholics because it brought in a lot of reforms. And then um, reactionary popes after that um, did away with the reforms of Vatican II. But another thing that Vatican II did was um, lessened the importance of Mary. And uh, she's not, ex- uh, the, the ascension of Mary, yeah, it's it's talked about by a few, but not much is made of that. Mary um, is, the hero in the doctrine, the Immaculate Conception, and that refers not to Jesus' conception, but to Mary's conception. In other words, it it, it really contradicts the doctrine. Um, Mary is said to have been conceived without sin. Now, that would mean that she's divine, doesn't it? And the Catholic Church, this is so weird, Catholic officials very carefully make sure that people know that Jesus and the Father are divine, but but Mary is not. It's ridiculous. Interesting. Uh, and Mary has. I didn't realize that. Mary has the. Yeah, Mary has the official title of Mother of God, uh, Theotokos, in Greek. <clears throat> so that's also a doctrine of the Church, but at the same time. It's carefully um, taught that Mary is not divine, while Jesus and the Father are divine. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. Well, well, it's just another example how you have to um, defy logic. You know, and that's probably another reason why you know it's it's being rejected. I mean, it's so obviously sexist, um, and um, yeah. Um, well, I want to I want to ask you. Um, you know, this is kind of a curveball here, but um, I, I just wonder if you know, and if you don't know, that's that's okay. Um, you know, the founding fathers, um, they 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 I think aligned more on the side of pagans than Christians. I mean, they were kind of deists. Um, I, I believe. Do you know anything about that? Because I get so tired of hearing the founding fathers were Christians, and I don't think that's actually true, is it? Uh, right, you're exactly right. The founding fathers, in fact, <clears throat> made it clear that they were not, that they did not ascribe to Christianity. They were deists, which means that they um, believed in God, and they um in fact, there was a treaty signed, and one of the founding fathers, oh, I, I'm too old, <laughs> I don't remember details, but one of the founding fathers, it might have been 
um, Jefferson or Franklin or, or 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 Adams could have been John Adams said that um, Christianity was not founded on upon Christianity. I mean, it's it's stated in you know there's a quotation making that clear by one of the founding fathers. There was a treaty written around that time. So yes, they were deists, meaning that they believed in God and they believed in um, integrity. They had um, they had many of the same values that uh, the most um, loyal and upstanding Christians have. Uh, they were. They certainly had uh, belief in the Almighty, or I don't like using Almighty, in sacred reality. Let's say in transcendence, and um, so they were spiritual. But we could say they were spiritual, but not religious, which is what the nuns today say. Right, right. Well, and for anyone that's going to be taking a trip to Washington, D.C., um, Roy and I did uh, a few years ago to attend um, a protest march. Uh, that's what we did for our vacation. And I was amazed. Um, we stumbled into the Library of Congress and into the Supreme Court, never realizing that we were going to just be um, overwhelmed by the face of the feminine. I mean, the Library of Congress is filled with uh, examples of academia and science and um, virtues, all of these things um, being assigned a feminine face. Um, and then you go to the Supreme Court and you have all of these images of, of, uh, of goddesses. Um, it, and, and not to mention you have uh, on the top of, uh, of Congress, you know, you have Lady Libertas. And inside you also have, another, you know, numerous uh, images of uh, females to admire and inspire. Um, so, you know, it, it's like it, it feels like, um, you know, the whole government has been corrupted, you know, uh, in, a, in a sense, you know, to, even though those symbols are there, it's like, well, look the other way, let's wear blinders. Um, you know, uh, we, we can't go there. We can't give any value to the feminine. And um, it, it's, it's frustrating, but it's still nice to know that it's there um, and uh, hiding in plain sight, if you will. <laughs> I, did, <clears throat> I did not know those details. I did not know that you have so many feminine images in our government. Of our governmental bill, yeah. I did not know that, but it's consistent <clears throat> with what was happening since ancient Greece. The Greeks, you know, were also very patriarchal. Um, Plato and Aristotle, Aristotle especially, they they were they were patriarchal. I mean, they did not have um, they they did not respect women. Um, but during this whole saga of patriarchy. The feminine was considered the source of inspiration. The muses were feminine. When somebody had creative ideas, they came from a feminine image. That's true throughout the course of patriarchy. Um, so I have no trouble believing what you're saying, but it's such an interesting fact. Um, in Catholic churches, too, 
Um, I saw a presentation at a Women in Spirituality conference that I used to present at and attend year after year for 20 years. Um, it was it took place here in Minnesota. I'm in Minnesota. That's why I'm in the middle of a blizzard. Um, and in the Catholic in Catholic churches, there are such symbols that come from the goddess. Um, I I cannot think of any details right now, but but simply in in the architecture of traditional churches, there are goddess symbols. Only nobody knows it, but they really come yeah. from goddess religions, prehistory. Yeah, I'll let uh, I'll finish now. Thank you. I'll, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just uh, because of this lag that we have in internet radio. I'm I'm um, having I'm trying to uh, deal with it. That's the reason I said that. <laughs> Well, you're you're doing a good job, Jeanette. Well, um, I you know we could go on and on. I mean, there's so many other things we could talk about. But uh, you know, if you ever want to come on and talk to us about Dominionist Christianity, I would love it because I need a new expert on it. Um, but I, I want to you know I want to thank you um, for the show today. And um, did we cover everything? Because if if there was something important we I didn't think to ask you, um, we got another minute or two um or did did you cover all the points you wanted to to make let's see <clears throat> i talked about the most important things yeah i i uh, that's all i can think of right now i'm sure i'll think of more <laughs> when we're finished but right now that's well, what i will say well well, you did have at the end of your talking points, um, and you know, and I don't know, maybe you don't want to go here now because we did talk about politics, but I'm happy to go here if you want to. You said, do you think the impeachment inquiry will make a difference politically? Um, did you have something you wanted to say about that? Oh, only that um, I the polls, the, the stories that were, what we're, we're told over and over again is that the polls say, that they it made no difference that people's opinions at the end of the inquiries are the same as they were before the impeachment inquiries ever began what is not stated is i think important and that is that um i have read in a few places that people come away from viewing the impeachment inquiries, those people who paid attention, knowing that he's guilty. You know, of course he's guilty. That's what we come, we know that as we leave the impeachment inquiries. There's absolutely no doubt because the evidence was so clear and we're left with enormous respect for the people who, the diplomats who testified. They are Above reproach, and we are left with we we compare them with Trump and Trump's people, and we can see how one person one side is has the integrity and it's lacking in the other side, and so that's important. People who say that he shouldn't be impeached, well, I don't want him to be removed from office either, because it wouldn't matter, you know his his obvious. Um, despicable character his immorality is made more apparent the more he goes on 
And so we want to know what people come away from. The, I think the impeachment inquiries have made a difference. That's the important. Even though nobody wants well, him removed. Yeah, I mean it won't it, it won't accomplish anything. You know, we'll just end up with pants. But I think the Democrats were kind of put between a rock and a hard place because if they really uh, want to stand for the Constitution and for democracy, um, I don't think they had any other choice. You know, um, even if, uh, you know, Fox News is, um, you know, trying to convince their listeners that, uh, you know, this is all a witch hunt and there's nothing to see there, um, you know, because they would they would be, I think, guilty uh, for not doing it in a way. You know, they would they would be um, um Oh, what's the word? You know, uh, they wouldn't be upholding the Constitution, and their, um, you know, their, you know, what what they took their oath to do, you know. Um, so, I agree. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think they had yeah, to do I it agree. whether they you, thought it was it was good politically or not. If there was ever a president who did anything that deserves impeachment. This was it, and Democrats had to act for that reason, as you described it. And so it had to be done, and they hoped that it would um, lay bare the immorality of what's going on now in this administration. And I think they accomplished that for people who are still open to observing and knowing and thinking and, and learning. And I think it I think it did accomplish that. So it was not for nothing. And Democrats had to do it because the impeachment is part of the the Constitution says makes allowance for this for impeachment. It it it's uh if there's if it's in the Constitution it needs to be followed and that's what Democrats did. Yeah. As you said. Well and and, well, and when you think about, you know, that they impeached Clinton over lying, you know, about having sex, and, um, you know, and, but now it's okay for the present, you know, to have sex with a porn star and pay her off. I mean, things have come a long way, you know. Um, I mean, and I also remember during Clinton's impeachment uh, that a woman went to jail for ignoring subpoenas. You know, but that doesn't happen now, which in a way I think makes the Democrats look weak. But I might just not understand the process or something. Well, I think that things have changed. That that standards have simply gone downward at this time from Clinton's time, and when Clinton was um, shown to be a philanderer, people could still pretend to be a little shocked by it, and. Today, people are just dismiss it and say and go on. Um, I, what I learned from this book that I love by Jill Lepore, um, history shows again. You're always talking about how we need to know our history. Well, I've learned that Eisenhower and another one of the Republican presidents of that time, it wasn't Nixon. Um, uh, or maybe it was Nixon, they were board members of Planned Parenthood. And this political party that was more 
um, that, that respected women more was the Republican Party in the 1950s and 60s. The Republican wow. Party was an honorable party in those days. It was an entirely different party from what it became from the time of Reagan on. Well, what can we say? Uh, the times, they are a change, and, and um, you know, let's just hope we live to see that pendulum swing back. Hey, Jeanette? It will swing back. It always does. We can depend on that. We know that because of our spiritual, um, our spiritual orientation. We know that things will settle, whether or not it's in our, well, in my lifetime. I'm, I'm getting older, and um, it'll happen. I know that. Doesn't have to be in my lifetime. Okay. Well, Jeanette, this has been great. Um, I want to thank you so much uh, for being on the show. And, um, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk again. Uh, if you have any other topics uh, you'd like to bring to listeners, you know, I'm always open because you're such a fount of, uh, you know, of information and interesting stuff. So um, thank you very much. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving and, um, you you know, and you have a great holiday um, you know, a, a nice uh, a, a solstice, <laughs> a solstice and Yule. All right. So same to you. Happy ho- happy solstice. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Jeanette. Bye. Um, and I just want to mention uh, again, good, goodbye. I want to mention Jeanette's books again um, and her blog. Her, she, her first book, God is Not Three Guys in the Sky, with the subtitle Cherishing Christianity Without Its Exclusive Claims. Uh, and her newest one, which uh, you can catch our interview um, a few weeks ago, Beyond Parochial Faith, A Catholic Confesses. And her blog, you definitely want to subscribe to her blog because um, uh, she has great stuff there. The entries aren't too long. It's always well-researched, easy to understand. Uh, God is not three guys in the sky. And the three is a number three, not the word three. God is not three guys.com, Karen. God is not threeguys.com. And I think they'll Thank find you. more if they go by Jeanette Blonigan Clancy, Jeanette Blonigan Clancy dot com, Jeanette Blonigan Clancy dot com, Jeanette Blonigan Clancy dot com. <laughs> that might. <laughs> They'll see more. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad she hadn't hung up yet. Thank you for interjecting that. Um, and you know, the other thing I was thinking about, uh, her and I were talking about stuff that uh, comes to us now, and we consider it just part of Christmas, but it really had pagan roots. Uh, is the Christmas tree and the Yule log. Um, you know, also there's all the you know the goddesses of solstice. Uh, we didn't even get into that, uh, but I have shows on that. You can. You know, you can look that all up on the internet. Um, so, uh, so have fun researching that uh, because this time of year is really a pagan time of year. And uh, next Wednesday, uh, I have on the show at a special time because he's calling in at uh, calling in from the UK. Um, I have. Um, uh, on the show, uh, William Bond, uh, we're going to be talking about um, uh, feminine power and the return of matriarchy. Yes, I'm talking about that with a gentleman uh, at 11 o'clock Pacific time on Wednesday. 
And um, just so you know, and you can mark your calendars, um, I uh, booked a great pair of guests uh, for January 8th. Uh, You probably have uh, read their books. Maybe you've seen them on TV. Um, uh, I have uh, Lynn Picknett and Clive Prince. Uh, They are going to be on the show. They're talking about their new book, When God Had a Wife, The Fall and Rise of the Sacred Feminine in Judeo-Christian Tradition. Uh, But their first book that I really loved was The Templar Revelations. Uh, I was a big fan of Holy Blood, Holy Grail. And uh, Lynn Picknett and Clive Prince came out right after um, Holy Blood, Holy Grail with the Templar Revelation, a very pagan slant to it. Um, they were also major inspiration for the Da Vinci Code. In fact, they were giving cameos in the movie. So mark your calendar for January 8th at 11 a.m. because they're also uh, calling in from the U.K. Um, so we have to adjust the time a little bit um, so it's not you know in the middle of the morning uh, for them over there. Um, but you know what? You would not miss any of these shows if you go to the show page on Blog Talk and hit the follow button. Uh, you would get a reminder in your inbox, your email inbox of each weekly show and a button right there where you can click right on the show and catch it either live or from the archives. Uh, that's the easiest way to do it. Then you won't miss great um, you know, interviews like the one today with Jeanette. Blonigan Clancy, Jeanette Blonigan Clancy.com, uh, and uh, you know all the other wonderful folks that um, I have the privilege of talking to. Um, I learned so much from all of these people, and um, you know as we go about uh, creating a new world and um, rethinking everything, and um, not just swallowing um, you know the history of what the um, you know, patriarchy has uh, uh, decided its history. You know, these um, these conversations become so important. Um, so, uh, I will I will stop there. Uh, we have gone on uh, longer than we usually do, uh, but I hope you um, have enjoyed the show. Um, I am going to close with that uh, wonderful song we started with because I believe it's so beautiful. It's uh, Narayani, and it's by Diva Haley. Um, So I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and uh, remember... Uh, remember what the real Thanksgiving was, uh, not with, uh, you know, the propaganda story. And um, I hope you have a wonderful few weeks ahead uh, of this holiday season of solstice and Yule and Kwanzaa uh, and all the rest. All right. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Dear listeners, you are the gas in my tank, and farewell for today. Ancient
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.